Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rocket MSP podcast, the show where we ask tough questions of the vendors. Today, I am excited. I've got Darren and Tara joining us from Emmybot. Uh, Darren, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Tara, same nice. with you. Thanks for having us. Excited. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, here's here's the deal. You have a really like awesome and potentially complex platform. And what I'd like to do is, uh, one, understand how to, how to, I don't know, market this product better and understand how to utilize this product better so that way um, our MSP can say, oh, hey, uh, let's, let's use Emmybot and save X number of hours every month because we do XYZ work. Uh, right. So what I want to do today is figure out what XYZ work is for, mm -hmm. for Emmybot. What are we what are we going to automate using this platform? Um, why why are you calling it an RMM killer? And I'm saying that you're calling it an RMM killer, just so that we're clear. Um, and uh, and yeah, I just I just want to I just want to get to know Emmybot better. So let's start off with the the why why yeah. did you start emmybot because oh, it was taking forever to get anything done in the existing uh msp tools that we had and uh it really what it was honestly was i'm over here at uh automation nation in orlando and i'm i'm talking to a bunch of guys at the bar and everybody's talking about how much time they've got in their office 365 install script and, and one guy's got 40 hours in his and this other guy's got 60 in his, but his can remove the incompatible access dependencies and another guy's can do the, the upgrade from 32 to 64 bit before that was even supported. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what a waste of time, right? And, and I'm looking at the scripts that I'm writing and, and they've got a lot of good features in them, but sharing them was really hard. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I could, if I could somehow package all of this up on top of a platform that made it very easy for me to distribute these scripts, then I think we'd really have something. So I went back from IT Nation in 2016, uh, or Automation Nation rather, and I started writing what eventually became Emmybot. And, uh, you know, I already kind of knew what I wanted to do with it. I knew that the core problem, there were two main problems. In 2016, we finally learned what being an MSP truly was. It wasn't billing by the hour. It was, it was charging our customers based on how many users they have or how many devices they have or, you know, anything that's not billable hours, right? So we're mm -hmm. switching our business model over. And, and there's two major issues that are happening at the same time. One was we've got uh, customers that are complaining that it takes a very long time to set up new computers. And then I've got, on the other hand, um, customers that we've successfully doubled or tripled their rates to be on our new MSP plan. And in, after six or nine months, they still don't have the full stack of software that we promised them, right? In order for us to entice them into becoming to getting on this MSP plan. So like maybe they're paying 600 a month. I'm saying, okay, now your bill's gonna be $1,800 a month, but you're gonna get the latest version of Office and we're gonna upgrade your firewall and you're gonna get this new VPN client. We're gonna give you Mindcast spam filtering and, and we're gonna have this plugin for Outlook that's gonna let you auto categorize it and, and all of that. And, and it's gonna be great. And, uh, and then I had to actually go deliver that to all the customers we sold it to. 
and I'm trying to get all this software deployed. And then, you know, as, as time's going on, they're wanting to replace hardware. And then we're forgetting, oh, wait, you know, that customer is on Sentinel One and not ESET because they switched to managed services. So we weren't exactly delivering what our customers are paying for. And then at Automation Nation, what I'm seeing is people are controlling that with checkboxes inside of extra data fields inside of their automation. And that's a separate source of truth than what is the true source of truth, which is what is your customer paying you for and what's on their agreement, right? So, and now if you look at the computer setup problem and then you look at the stack homogenation problem for MSPs, they're actually one and the same, right? Because all you're really doing when you're setting up a new computer is installing all the stuff that the customer needs and getting it into compliance with your standards, no different than you can take an existing computer that may be for you know a new customer that maybe has the old MSP stack on it or has your old stack on it, and now you're trying to put your new stack on it, right? Maybe it's got some of the stuff, but not all of it. So it's really all about enforcing desired state and being able to tie desired state to what your customers are paying you for. So it's not a project to onboard a new customer every time you get one, or it's not a project to set up a new computer or remember, oh, what's supposed to be on this thing, right? So, well, in a problem that we had back then, I was handed service to basically run it, and we noticed that after new computers were deployed, we would get continual tickets on the help desk, which just backed up my help desk board because so-and-so didn't get their printer or something was installed and not configured. And it just, the hours would shoot up. So it was wasting my technician's time because we there was a human error to it, right? There's the human aspect that you had to remember all these things. And we put processes in place. We wrote down you know, listings for each company, tried to do it that way, and it just didn't work. So then it evolved into, okay, we need to automate. Right. All right. So, so let's talk about Imibot itself. So, it, you know, there's there's something exciting about getting in on the ground floor of of some of these new applications out there. Um, at least to me, um, I'm I'm the guy who's running the beta software on all of his iOS devices, and you know, You're I just, a crazy person. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a crazy person. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I, I love, I embrace change when it's fun. I don't embrace change when I have to work for it. And I, I think that's probably true of most people. Um, some people embrace change even when they have to work for it because they, they can see through the forest and the trees. They can, they can see what, what the outcome is going to be. Right. I, I can't see what the outcome is going to be. So, uh, well, let me yeah. provide some, some clarity, you know, because, yeah, you know, what, what you said is it can be a complex platform and it, and it mm -hmm. can be, it could be as complex as you'd like it to be. But the complexity is really only there, well, for me. I, you know, I say me, but I mean, uh, we needed in order to be able to deliver. That whatever software that a customer needs, we needed to be able to easily package things. We needed scripting that was sane and fast to be able to test quickly. And so we had to build out a lot of features that your traditional RMM would have, right? And I just wasn't happy with any of the offerings that were out there because they were all very old and they were all very slow. And I just felt that I was not going to be able to produce robust code that was well-tested if it took multiple minutes to get a single script execution to run. So I said, okay, 
you know, how hard would it be nowadays with the advent of cloud, with the advent of PowerShell, with the advent of, of service buses and Redis caches and, and, you know, all of this modern asynchronous at scale battle tested stuff, how hard would it be if so we just started from complete scratch and just built our own on the latest and greatest stuff, right? And, uh, and it turns out it really wasn't that hard. And in uh, a lot of the stuff that some of the legacy vendors had had to build themselves, well, we could just grab off the shelf for a few dollars a month here and there from Azure, right? And that's what we did. Things like single sign-on and the and the IoT hub and and service buses and things like that. Like I don't have to bake all that into my product. I just say, like, oh yeah, I'll just use that. I'll use this. I'll use that. And the next thing you know, it's like a solved problem, right? So I'm just wiring a lot of this together. And so anyway, but the, to my point is, let me you know, bring this back home to somebody who may not be familiar with Imibot or is wondering, like, why do I even need this thing? Our gateway drug, all right, is new computer setups. Let's just say that Imibot is only here to set up new computers, all right? And you're going to figure out after you start doing computer setups what else it can do. But I would like to just focus, laser focus the conversation around new computer setups because it is such a pain point for almost every MSP. And, uh, and so I'd like to show you that process and what that feels like when you're using Emmy to do it. Okay. And you say it can be complicated. It can be because we have like a scripting engine and everything. But there were a lot of talks before we even brought it out to market that I'm the least technical person probably in our company. I work in operations. I've been with the boys 11 years. If I can't use Emibot, there was a problem. Like I should be able to push my own software and not have to go ask somebody out there to do okay. it for me. Right. So we tried to keep it as simple as possible for that. Right. So what the idea here is we're going to use just off the shelf things. When I say off the shelf, we have this global repository with you know, a thousand plus pieces of software, including every permutation of Autodesk product, every permutation of QuickBooks. This isn't like chocolatey installing Notepad++ for you, okay? This is like real deal, heavy lift software that we're deploying in almost no time. So I'll just go ahead and share my screen and we'll just run through the how, how Emmy does this. Okay. Right. So let's see, share screen and let me do the entire screen on this one right here. All right. So what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to jump right to to where the magic happens in Emmy, and the magic happens in what we call a session. All right. Now you have to think of Emmy kind of like group policy, where you've got what we call deployments, which are like the policies themselves, and then there's the enforcement of the policy, which would traditionally happen when you run GP update slash force on a machine, or you just wait for whatever the the GP update interval is and uh, an active directory, right? Now, so what we're looking at right now is that GP update force. We're bringing the, com the machine into compliance. So what I'm showing you here is uh, we first make sure our own agent's up to date. We set a primary user on the machine. There's a configure directory task here. And I'd like to point out that one of the main differentiators of anybody is we check our work. Okay, so you may have noticed that, you know, for these two, it just says uh, detect compliant with one bar green. Okay, good. No action needed to be taken because, well, it was already compliant. The primary user was already who we wanted it to be. The ME agent was already up to date. But you get to this configure directory task and oh, what happened? Well, we, we, when we ran our detection, we determined that it was not compliant. And if we wanted to drill into the details, we could see exactly what happened. 
uh, there were a couple of things wrong. There is the computer name was this, but we really wanted the computer name to be this, IN002. And, uh, and then also if we scroll up just a little bit further inside of here, we'll notice that the machine should have been uh, Azure AD joined and it wasn't. So, uh, so those are two issues that made it not compliant. And so then we move on to the enforce stage where we make it compliant. And in here, you'll see that we're running through the uh, process of generating the, the, the uh, provisioning package to join it to Azure AD. We're renaming the computer, restarting it, and then we rerun the same test script that we ran here. And now it says, oh yeah, it, it has a computer name that matches the pattern, right? And it's also joined to Azure AD. So, uh, so we're good to go. Right. So that's sort of like the highest possible level of MBBot understanding wise is detect, execute, verify. Right. Check your work. It's not the fire and forget scripts where you, you have to build in all that logic yourself. Right. We try to take all that repetitive stuff away. So let's uh, so let's not really focus too much on that. The last thing I will point out is if you ever are wondering, well, why did this task even apply? This desired state right here is kind of like in your GP result where you can see the winning policy, right? And we have the notion of like you could stack policy. So you could say, all right, I have a cross-tenant policy that says uh, Adobe Reader should be installed on all computers, but maybe you've got a, a policy for a specific tenant or a specific group of users like, like you know, um, like law clerks and they need Acrobat standards. So you would make a policy that says they should get full-blown Acrobat instead of Reader. Right, and then that'll win against the cross-tenant one because it's more specific in scope. Right, does that make sense? Yeah. So you know, and, and visualize that you've, we've got these different scopings here, where you have a cross-tenant, which could apply to multiple of your customers, single-tenant, which where you would select, like you select a tenant, and you can drill down even further into those groups, and then individual would just be like a specific person or a specific uh, computer, and you know, individual wins against single-tenant, single-tenant wins against cross-tenant, so on and so forth. Right, so that's sort of the idea. So you want to take a breadth-first approach when you're configuring any. But anyway, so let me not get too far off the rails there. Second thing I'm going to point out is uh, we don't just install software; we configure software. So if you take a look at uh, Adobe Acrobat Reader, uh, you'll notice that there's a little configuration wrench right there. Okay, where it says we're going to configure Reader. Well, wait, what needs to be configured about Adobe Reader? Well, let's go ahead and drill in. Let's go to that winning policy, and let's see what happens. Well, you'll notice here that since we have a software selected, we get a few additional options. Okay, this software should be installed, updated if found, uninstalled. Maybe this is like a competitor's RMM. You want to make sure that like, you know, that's never installed in any of your machines. Uh, and then we have desired version, latest, any. Uh, and put a little pin in your brain. Well, how do you know what the latest version is? Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, but there's some configuration things that we do. Make the make reader the default PDF handler so that way Edge doesn't take it over. Right. How are we doing that? Well, we're doing that by reaching into the user profile and we're regenerating the user choice hash and we're setting Adobe Reader to be the default PDF handler in every profile on the machine. All right. That's a, that's thousands of lines of PowerShell consolidated into this radio one. It's crazy. I mean, you might be wondering, it's a new computer, how the profile get there. We create it for you in this primary user task right there. Okay. This like I said, it seems very complex, but it also seems very easy because we literally just make a policy that installs a software package. And is this similar to, I'm going to say similar to Chocolatey, but I don't want you to take offense. No. Is there is there like a repository of 
available applications that MSPs can pick from? Yeah, in fact, we integrate. Yeah, we integrate with Chocolaty too, but we'll, you'll find that our repository is generally more reliable than Chocolaty. And uh, so I'll show you. If you go to library software, you could look up whatever software you want in here. So if you're interested in different versions of QuickBooks, here you are. Um, if you're interested in any Autodesk products like AutoCAD, you'll see here we've got just the whole gamut of Autodesk stuff. Uh, if you look through, uh, you know, even uh, we've got pretty much every MSP tool you could imagine. Uh, so things like cloud radials, if you want set into one, uh, if you want uh, web root, let me get rid of that. If you want, let's, uh, yeah, let's pick cloud radial, for example. Sure. So, so if I wanted to deploy the cloud radial agent mm -hmm. uh, as an MSP, don't I, uh, that probably answers my question right there. I was going to say, don't, don't I need some kind of like API or, or key of some sort to, right. okay. Cloud radio was awesome. They built a special API for us since we both are aware of the Azure tenant IDs, their installer required like, you know, a uh, client ID 17. That's, that's just to their system. Right. And I'm like, man, instead of us having to like make mappings for all of those, or we try to string match on the customer names that don't always match. How about you give me an API that I can trade the Azure tenant ID that I already know for your internal ID and then feed that to your installer. So just give us some API creds right here. We use that API. You don't have to think about it as long as they're mapped under our Azure mapping uh, uh, inside of Envibot and, and you imported it from Azure on their side, it's just going to work. All right. Now, let me ask you this. So your, your platform has like two different pricing tiers mm -hmm. that I recall. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah. there's like the essentials or, or like the base model. Or, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so that one, I believe it's implied that it's unlimited endpoints but the way that it works is it's for setting up new endpoints. You're mm -hmm. not like installing and in, well, you might still have to install an agent, but you're not, you're not uh, proactively maintaining the software on those endpoints after they're deployed for the end user. Right. So let me go over that because that is something we changed very recently. Um, it used to be a hard cap on the number of agents that we let you bring in, um, but we got rid of that. We allow you to bring in as many agents as you want. Uh, now, on the, the real difference between starter and standard is that starter is limited to new computer setups. You get to use Amibot to the fullest of its capabilities for seven days. And once that computer has been in our database for seven days, then as soon as you try to do something with it, it'll say, oh, sorry, you know, this computer's too old. You can no longer manage this computer. Then if you want to be able to manage the computer, that's when you step into Amibot standard. And what we do is we, we still, there's no hard cap on the agent import, but when you run maintenance, when you run one of those sessions, so you know, for the session being this happening right now, okay, so you can run as many of these on, on a computer ID as you want in a given month, but we look at the total number of unique computer IDs sessions have run against. Does that make sense? So the idea is how many computers are you maintaining in a month with Imbibot, right? You might have a thousand computers you brought in, but you know you only have a recurring schedule set up for 50 of them. Okay, well then only only licensing about for 50 computers, right? And then you set, you get that first customer going with it and you set up a schedule for them and they've got another, they got 100 endpoints, add 100 to your license now. Now you'll be able to maintain their computers additionally. I really wanted, I wanted the, I wanted to get the computers in so that way there's no, 
there's no limit to the about, amount of data that we can sort of ingest and you could learn. Because what I'm teeing, what I'm teeing up here is a play where I am able to start building out the policies for you based on what I see on the machines. But if you don't have the machines in Imibot, I can't inventory the software and, and start learning those relationships. So my end game for the end of the year is to get to a point where you set up your import from the RMM, it brings all of your computers in. And then when you get to this deployment screen to start making all the rules, it starts saying, hey, we've noticed that 99% of the computers in use by members of the engineering team have AutoCAD Mechanical 2022. Would you like to approve this recommended deployment, right? That's where I'm trying to get. So now the adoption time, which could take months of getting all the rules right and kind of iteratively doing it as you're setting on new computers, shrinks down to a week, which is basically the time it takes for us to inventory and then crunch all those numbers. That's where I'm trying to get. Okay, that's awesome. How um, so many different directions I want to go right now. All right, so talk to me about why this is an RMM killer. Well, I'll show you the feature that we released or right now is in beta that to me is going to be the thing that that, that makes it work. All right, so the, there's two missing pieces. Well, the first thing you have to realize, too, is if you think about what you're really using your RMM for, most, most MSPs that I've encountered, and this is true of my own MSP, we were primarily using it because, well, I was able to get screen connect with it. And then also uh, I was using it to deploy software. All right, once I moved all of my software deployments out of my RMM, I really wasn't doing much with it. I had already disabled most of the alerts because I was getting alert fatigue from all of the random noise that it was generating that didn't matter, right? So for me, the only thing I needed above and beyond software installations is the ability to remote into computers. So I said, okay, well, let's go ahead and build in a remote control tool. So we acquired uh, remotely and we uh, ended up hiring Jared, the author, he's amazing. And, uh, and he has, he started uh, January of this year and we have built the core of remotely into Emibot. And this isn't like a, a loosey goosey sort of integration where you've got two different databases and all of that. No, this is like baked in. We actually abstracted out the core functionality into a shared library used by the remotely product. So it doesn't get cannibalized and it's getting used by Emibot. So if you needed to get in here and, and remote into this computer, no problem. We're going to sign in. Now, you may have noticed that this machine we had joined to Azure AD, right? So why don't I log on as my Azure AD user on this machine and see uh, if I'm able to actually get into it. This is also beta. So if this change session doesn't work, I am going to just click this button again and we're going to see what happens. Yeah, right now the, here it goes. All right, I think it's gonna do it, connecting, bam. Oh yeah, look, it's doing the uh, web sign-in. That's not exactly what I wanted. I should have probably clicked the other button. Yeah, it's gonna do the sign-in options. Here we go, let's put it here. What I should do is wipe this machine, start over from scratch so y'all can see it. Cause I, had, I already had it running. I already had it cooking before we got on the call so you didn't have to wait for it. 
So yeah, so yeah, we do Azure AD joins. Another big feature that is getting people are buying AmiBot for is I wrote a task that migrates people to Azure AD. So sure, I had the ability to join Azure AD, but what about migrating profiles? Traditionally, you needed something like ProfWiz to go re-ACL the profile and associate it to the new SID. Well, I found that ProfWiz was really cumbersome to do the Azure AD migration. So I figured out that, well, there's a built-in WMI method that lets me change profile ownership. And I just baked that straight into Emmy. So now if you need to do a AD to Azure AD or uh, AD to AD or Azure AD to AD, or sorry, Entra now. So I'm just using <laughs> Entra to AD. Uh, it's really easy. You just come over here and you do a, uh, we're going to do directory migration. And you basically say, okay, what types of profiles do you want to migrate? We're going to do uh, maybe it's workplace join. We could do active directory. Let's say we're doing active directory to, to Azure AD. Go over here. Okay, what's the destination? We're going to select Azure AD. Now it's going to pop up with the required uh, parameters for that. So we got to specify a device enrollment user, password, some other options here, and then you just push this out to your tenant. And what's going to happen is on each computer, we look inside the profile and we try to find what user it's associated with. So we look first at the Outlook profile. We look at the default email address. We look at that, look for that email address in the target directory. If we find that user in there, we convert their object ID to the SID and associate the profile there. And we just loop over all the profiles. And when the user logs on on Monday morning, all they see is they log in with their email address and their password. And the only difference is there's a Windows Hello enrollment and all their stuff is there. So, um, gosh, what's that thing called that, that Microsoft does where... Uh, User state migration tool. I wasn't yes. thinking of that one. No? Okay. I was thinking of the one where, where they configure it from the manufacturer. Oh, autopilot. Yes. yes. So... Like, does does this make it so, does Autopilot cost money, first of all? No, it doesn't, but Intune does. And they would have Got you it. believe that in, that Autopilot only works with Intune, but all Autopilot is, well, it's just a shameless ripoff off of uh, Apple's, uh, what do they call it, device enrollment, mm -hmm. uh, whatever. They came out with it first, right? But the idea is we're going to associate a serial number to a to an Azure tenant, and then an Azure tenant will have an enrollment URL, right? And that enrollment URL, by default, of course, in Azure AD is going to point to your Intune enrollments, but that could point to any other MDM. And in fact, last year we implemented our own mock MDM in Imibot in such a way that you could point your enrollment URL to Imibot and have it act as the MDM, send down our own MSI as opposed to Intune installing the Intune management extension MSI. And we were able to get Amybot running on machines like that. The, um, we didn't we didn't finish that up or release it. The, we found out that there were some like logistical issues with autopilot. Not saying it's totally bad, but Tara could speak to this. It delays the delivery from a lot of manufacturers, right, Tara? Mm -hmm. Oh well, specifically with Dell, uh, that's who we use. If you don't have yourself listed as an approved, I don't remember what it's called, they will hold all of your orders basically. Oh, good. Yeah, it's really fun when they don't tell you and it's been like a week and a half. <laughs> it's really cute. So, so nobody's really beat the door down for the feature, but what we did instead is we said, look, since most people have the Intune license with Microsoft 365 Business Premium, we just made it easy to deploy AmiBot via Intune. So we created what we call a cloud task 
Now, Cloud Task is something that gets deployed to tenants instead of computers. So if I were to select this, you'll see on the right a list of my customers instead of a list of computers like you saw previously. Now, if I wanted to go and deploy the ME agent to all devices in all these different Intunes, I would just press deploy all right here and it would go and push our agent into Intune and apply it to all the machines and then it would roll out like that. So what our customers do is they run this and then when they autopilot machines, it joins Intune, Intune installs our agent and then we kick off, they kick off the onboarding from there. That's, that's gotta be like super easy for you guys. It helps. And then if you get a new customer and they're still on-prem, we have a similar task called uh, deploy via group policy. And uh, can I use C-notes? I fixed the bug, but I got to update that. Anyway, this works the same way. It'll go find a domain controller in each tenant and then set up a group policy to push out the agent. The reason I don't use is because I had the log path uh, pointed back to the server and some of these MSIs would just like, some of the logs are just so verbose was filling the server. So I had to like, you know, kill that. But anyway, that's the uh, that's the concept with that. So you got a new customer, they've got a DC, still got a bunch of on-prem stuff. You push this out, bam, and then before you know it, the ABA just starts rolling out. But honestly, the way that most people bring this in is is not from like a new computer, new customer perspective. It's well, I got a bunch of existing customers, so you'll just go and bring, set up the integration to automate or control, or I'm sorry, now they renamed it back to Screen Connect uh, and Central. Uh, we're building out a few others, but you do that, we bring all the computers in and we use their agent to execute our scripts. That's really awesome, man. All right, so in in a perfect world, uh, we would be using a combination of, it sounds like Intune, MEBot, and Screen Connect. Um, yes. And eventually, I think we're going to start chipping away at the Intune thing, right? Because Intune sure. doesn't have this notion of, of cross-tenant policies. My, my end game here is I would ultimately love to sell Emibot to Microsoft and say this is what Intune should have been. Okay. Well, <laughs> at least you're honest. I mean, I'm just telling you. I mean, I don't want to sell to Kaseya. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I, I was going to ask if Kaseya was your number two choice. No, absolutely not. No. I think I'm going to make that my differentiating factor. Like, just put it on the website, not owned by Kaseya. So, uh, follow up question uh, What is your uh, a software license like? Can, could, for example, a company, and I don't know of any company that would do this, but could a company like take your product and like, recode it and by recode it i mean just change the colors but basically use every other uh character and and decimal and, and semicolon that you've written mm -hmm. uh and just rebadge it with their brand and put it in their their msp product and sell it for you know millions of dollars to msps wow. right no we're are this is a closed source product so it's not the source code isn't up on github for everyone to see although the remotely part of it is and we kept it that way because it was already open source, right? Okay. And we didn't want to like take that away from the community, like like a bunch of bad guys, right? So we just kept that open. Um, but no, emmy has been a closed source product, but uh, there is a lot of the code that you can see yourself. And I, I, Tara said, don't dive into the script editor. And if I do, then I'm going to totally lose my way because I love my script editor. But uh, there's a ton, I mean, thousands of scripts inside of Emmybot that someone you can make the argument that someone could sign up for a trial copy all my scripts and then just like you know try to use them on their own but 
it, to me, it's not even really feasible to do because there's so many, so many custom commandlets that we've baked in so that they just wouldn't work out of the box. You'd have to recreate a massive amount of our closed source, uh, closed source code to, to, for those scripts to even be viable to run in a different environment. But, but that's a good point. You know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I had a, a DNS filter on and I was asking them about their, their pricing structure. And at the time they were all based on the honor system because yeah, mm -hmm. they had the agent, but it was also like, just put the DNS uh, in, in the router and then all the devices on the network will, and it's on our system. And, right. and so I was able to ask, you know, some, some serious questions like, well, how, I mean, what's to stop me from having a hundred end users and saying, I've only got 15. Right. And, and they, their response was, well, we know on average what the average user, how many DNS queries they make. So if, if you tell us you have 15, and we see X number of queries, and I don't remember what the number is per user, but if we see X number of queries, we're going to have a conversation. Right. So, so for you, like, sure, the scripts could be considered intellectual property. Um, and, if, and if you saw me distributing your scripts, you would be pretty upset with me. But at the end of the day, the, the closed source code is still what makes Emmybot tick. Right, and there's exactly. and there's a lot more that goes into it than what we see from the script editor. Right, I mean, it's just you have to think of the scripts themselves. I like to say the scripts are like the the atom of the molecule, right? Where they are, there's like so if you think the molecule being like a piece of software inside of Emmy, right? What you'll see inside of here, we'll pick up like uh, let's do Microsoft Edge. Um, you'll see that there's multiple scripts associated with Edge, right? It's not just one script, right? So you could have a custom detection script, all right? Now this one luckily advertises itself reliably in that remove program, so I don't need a custom script. Um, this is just a generic default MSI. There's nothing really fancy going on here. I've just got a, a, a function here for installing MSIs. Um, don't have to worry about that. We've got a default script for uh, removing uh, MSIs. The only secret sauce really is this script right here, get Edge Chromium download links, where we actually reach out to this Edge Updates API from Microsoft, and uh, we return the download URL and the version that's going to install back in Emmybot. And honestly, I stole this from the Nevergreen module on GitHub, so I mean, it was already out there. So, you know, there's really not a whole lot of scripting involved most of the time because we're just using a bunch of our default scripts that are being used across, you know, hundreds sure. of pieces of software. All right. So then let me ask you this. In my ignorance, doesn't Edge already come installed with Windows 10 and 11? Why, why do you have it? Ah, okay. So now we're stepping into Immibot standard where we're going to keep it up to date for you. Okay. Okay. Right. So sure, it was it was it was installed and it was up to date the day that HP manufactured that computer. But then that computer sat on your shelf for six months, and now you're ready to set it up because now the customer is finally ready to pull the trigger on the project. Is it up to date? No. Right. So, yeah. And and let's also go back to the fact that there are certain things you might want configured that you don't like about Edge out of the box. So, for example. Let's go and look at our built-in deployment for Microsoft Edge, and let's just appreciate for the moment uh, one of the things that I changed for you right here. 
mean, I don't know about you. That's the first thing I do. Or, oh, I don't have to do it anymore because Emmy handles it for me out of the gate. But I always change my default search provider to Google from Bing. Now, maybe things have changed, Bing and ChatGPT and OpenAI. You know, I don't know. It's like, we've had a couple of requests like, hey, you know, could you show me how to make it turn it back to Bing? I kind of like Bing. All right, fine. But, you know, we put this on there and then give you these options of, do you want it to be the default browser? Do you want to disable the password manager? Do you want to set a default homepage? You know, all of this other stuff, we are able to configure Edge. So it's not just about making sure the software is installed. It's also about making sure the software is configured with what you need. And this is all stuff that theoretically we could control with a, what does Intune call it group policy these days? They, it's sort of touch. I know, I know. It's, a, it's an NDM policy or they call it a, a configuration service uh, provider, a CSP is what they call it. But it's all mapped back to group policy at some at some point in life anyway. That, that makes a lot of sense. Let's let's call it a CSP. That's so right. that way, so that way the CSPs can sell MSPs mm -hmm. the CSP product, and then the MSPs can configure the CSP inside the CSP product. Right. Well, it's really the CSP v2 because they've already deprecated CSP v1. So yeah. that could maybe help you differentiate between uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so stupid. I know, man. I know, I know. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, you know, that's really the difference, right? It's like, yeah, sure, Edge is already there, but you might want to update it and you might want to configure it, you know? And this really shines when you start looking at things like VPN clients, right? Where if we go back to, we look at the session that we, that we set up on this machine, one of the things that got installed was Cisco AnyConnect, right? And so in here, we give you the ability to, to configure the VPN profile. So I wanted it to be my VPN, myvpn.com. Okay, fine. So let's see if it actually did that. If I go on a remote into this machine. Oh, here's my Windows hello enrollment, by the way. Yeah, I'll skip for now. Come on, get me in there. All right, so what we ought to find is, let's get this out of the way. Go away. All right, here we go. We should find Cisco AnyConnect installed on here. And inside of here, we should find a profile. Oh, and also there. So here's my VPN profile there, right? And let's say I wanted to make a change to it. Now this thing can be kind of tricky when you have to make changes to the profile. I think it ends up locking it down to not allow you to make changes. It's kind of weird, but let's say I needed to deploy another profile to it or change something about it. Maybe it's not going to be called my VPN. Maybe it's going to be called, um, you know, your VPN, or uh, we could make it the name of the customer. I don't know. Let's go and mess with that. So here we are looking at a Cisco secure client. And we're going to go and edit that policy here. And we're going to change this to, um, you know, my company VPN. Make it stupid looking so that way it's obvious, right? And then I'm going to go run, jump back to the computer. And I'm going to hit rerun session. And it's going to reevaluate. I could just do it one at a time. But I like kind of running through everything and kind of checking for, uh, you know, compliance. So here it goes. All right, in the agent, are we good? We're up to date. Yeah, cool, great. And then it's going to go run through the rest of the software it's supposed to have. As soon as that gets done,
Right, so notice how this time we're going to find this is going to jump back to just being green. So you're no longer going to see like the, you know, not compliant, enforce, and then compliant, right? This is going to be just green. Now it's going to go and find the rest of it. And this is the part where your technical team can go do something else. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, now you're just watching progress bars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's my favorite thing you get paid for, though. I don't know. That's why I put progress <laughs> bars on, on Immibot's chest. He has progress bars. And that was actually like when we were redoing the UI, we we're like, I said, there has to be three progress bars to try to match that but we, i couldn't get them convinced on the color scheme right but that was that was the idea too good and so and like another thing i'll point out you see how visio is here on this uh computer well the reason visio is there remember how earlier i selected Terra to be the primary user what mm -hmm. happens and this is all built in like everything you see in there with the exception of like autodesk and cisco AnyConnect, is all like built in you don't have to like go and do anything you, there's 10 or 11 just built-in recommended deployments that when you sign up for Emibot will just be there. And so this is one of them. And what we do is if we look up Tara's license details from the Graph API and we see, okay, what are we looking for? Visio, oh, she's got a license for it. Let's go ahead and install it. If she had project, she would get, project would get installed, right? So it's no longer a situation where you forget to install project for the project manager, right? We're actually going back to that source of truth. That's pretty cool. Right. Notice how there's no auth tokens in here. The only thing we had to do, and this is that plumbing I was talking about, right? Sure, you can steal all my scripts, but you, you still need get any Azure auth header. That's implemented in C Sharp behind the scenes. That's automatically swapping out your partner token for the customer in questions token. Genius. Right? It's almost like we use it ourselves. And and the best part about it is because you're you're not including any tokens or anything these scripts are relatively sanitary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at all of our install scripts, they're so clean, right? Like, so, you know, I'll go through the, one of the things I like to do is show how do we get new stuff? So Darren, we know that there's no possible way you've got every piece of software. We're gonna have some oddball thing that you don't have in your library. I'm sure you're right, right? So what I like to do is run through, let's go ahead and add some software to the library, right? Maybe there is some custom things. I'm going to paste the URL to this guy. We're going to kick off this analysis task. And this is, uh, this is going to come back and say, oh, yeah, that's an NSYS package. No problem. Uh, we're going to add this to, oh, I had already done this demo somewhere, but I'm going to add, I'm going to make a duplicate copy of Airtame just for purposes of demonstration. It got the name of Airtame from that exe. It selected the NSYS package. Here's the install script. Notice how there's no download code in here, right? All we're doing is just expecting there to be this installer file. And so you, you don't have to, like, you don't really even care where I put it, right? I can download it anywhere as long as it's not intrusive to the user, right? All you care about is I need a path to the thing you downloaded. And so that way my install scripts are like that big, right? And so here we are, start process slash capital S, that one's easy, right? And then uh, we're going to next, yep, it's version 463, create, okay, cool. You want to deploy it, yep. All right, so who do you want to deploy it to? All computers, you know, here we are, create that rule done and then uh we're gonna hit deploy all and it's gonna just push out to those machines like that's all you have to do hmm. now do we find the silent flags every time 60 percent of the time it works every time all right okay but it's it's 60 farther than your bench tech would have gotten trying to figure out silent flags on his own you know at least he's not getting hung up just trying to write the download portion of mm -hmm. the script that you have to copy from script to script to script right. to script I hate scripting. I'm so bad at it. So I try to make our, our script should be about that big if you're doing your job right. You know, we have so many helper functions like that. 
that it really, you know, just let's get to the meat of it. Hmm. Um. So I was talking earlier about delivering what your customers pay you for. And you may have noticed when I was looking at the integrations, uh, we've got integrations with Halo, we've got integrations with Manage, we're going to be getting the Autotask, auto hopefully by the end of September. Uh, and the idea with the PSA integrations is that we allow you to deploy based on what your customer is paying you for in their agreements. So if you're familiar with ConnectWise Manage, you'll know that you could add additions to an agreement and you could say it's this product and this is the quantity and, you know, set your price and that ends up getting billed, you know, every month for your customer. Well, once you've done that, you go in Imibot and you say, okay, now it's, I don't have it enabled in this tenant, but you would have additional options under cross-tenant here, and it would show you uh, CW Manage Agreement uh, Product, where it will show all products that have active additions on agreements selected. And then what will happen is it'll then populate a list of all the computers on the right that are covered under agreements with Sentinel-1 on it, or with whatever the, the thing is you're building your customer for, Threat Locker, or you name it, okay? Uh, and it works the exact same way with Halo and Halo. I think they refer to it as like a recurring item or like a recurring invoice. I forget exactly what the terminology is, but it works conceptually the same way. We get a list of that. You hit it in the drop down, And so essentially you're saying install Sentinel-1 for all customers who have Sentinel-1 on their agreement. Right. So you're not like doing a project for that next customer you got or that next customer you sold Sentinel one to or Threat Locker to or whatever. It'll just sort of happen as soon as you start billing them for it. I, I'm impressed. I really like what I'm seeing here and I want to play with it. Yeah, you do. Um, all right. So let's talk pricing. Okay. The, the pricing of your product is a tough pill to swallow for small MSPs. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that there's no value in what you're doing because what you've just showed me is worth 500 bucks a month because you're, you're basically saying, Hey, I've written all the tough scripts for you. This is, this is what an RMM should have been from the beginning with, with their script libraries that suck. Um, the, so I'm not saying there's no value. I'm just saying that, you know, two bucks an agent, totally doable. 500 bucks to just say, hey, we're going to use this platform plus $2 an agent. That sure. sucks. That really well, sucks. Well, let me frame it like this instead. Okay. Here's, what here's what I'm getting at. 400 bucks a month starter. Let's fo laser focus on your new computer setups, right? Because the reality is your journey into Imibot is going to start there because one, it's probably a pain point for you. And two, it's it's low, low risk, right? If you mess up a new computer on the bench, you can wipe it and do it the old way, all right? When, if you try Imibot and your first go with Imibot is pushing a whole bunch of software to a whole bunch of machines and you haven't like tuned it or tested it, you may cause interruptions. You might not have suppressed reboots. You might, you know, it's just... Let's start on those new computers on your bench and let's get comfortable there. All right. And if you can somehow find a way to justify $400 a month to be able to set up however many computers you want, I think that $400 becomes a much easier pill to swallow. And then if you then frame standard as, 
okay, we're now doing all the computer setups for the 400, and then we're just asking for an extra $100 to start maintaining 50 computers, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Well, and if you think about it from a point of view of, you know, technical efficiency, right? We have technicians, we have an MSP we've run for so long. When they were doing these things manually, it would take, what, three hours going back and forth and just checking things, making sure, you know, if we were missing something that was needed in configurations, et cetera, like it got us down to like 20 minutes to 30 minutes touch time. I mean, just the labor cost is astronomical because every MSP knows your number one cost is labor. Like that's where your biggest, you know, uh, cogs are. Right. And most people, most MSPs bill their customers a couple of hundred bucks to set up new computers anyway. So, all right, let's say you're charging $200 to set up a machine. You set up two computers in a month all right, now you've broken even on it. Now anything beyond that, you're making money. So someone asked a question, some random program X, we just want to install it once on a machine without setting it as a deployment, part of a script or anything. Can you do a manual one-off push? Yeah, I just did that with Airtame. Um, so what you would do in that case, and this is funny because he thinks, he sounds like my business partner, right? Says Brett said the exact same thing. <laughs> He says, I don't, I just want to push this one time. All right. I don't need to. I'm like, all right, I get it. I get it. You want to cowboy it out. We'll let you do that. Okay. So there's a little bit of, a little bit of backstory to this answer. Uh, so this used to be called an assignment. Okay. And what Brett would say is I don't want to assign the software. I'm like, yes, you do. Because we need it on the newer computer. And I couldn't win the argument. This is the way he thought about it. And so I said, okay. Here's what we're gonna do, we'll separate it. We'll create a deployment screen where you can select the software, select the target, and then hit deploy all. Okay, and then, and that'll be completely separate from the assignment screen where you make the rules. And we started doing it. And then as we started doing it, we realized that the screens looked identical. The UIs were identical to each other. And I was like, well, this is stupid. This is gonna be really confusing because what if at the end of that one-time push, you actually do wanna save it and you do wanna enforce it for new computers in the future, right? So I said to Brett, okay, here's the compromise. I'm gonna rename assignments to deployments, but I'm not gonna require that you press the create button before you press the deploy all button. So you would act like you're making the, the rule. And he's like, I hate it. I'm like, I hate it too. That means it's a good compromise. So you could do your one-time push, just don't hit the create button. Okay, now, um, let me think here. Uh, th this guy said, uh, in regards to pricing, we made the calculation based on saved hours. Mm -hmm. And he said that $400 is three, I don't know if he's foreign and it's three and a half or if it's three <laughs> or five PCs. I'm pretty sure it's three and a half. <laughs> Probably three and a half, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. So, and then somebody else said, love my Emmy bot. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you talking about? So, uh, you, you definitely have a following. That's for sure, Darren. I've heard um, you You kind of have. <laughs> it's... it's fun. It's, it's kind of cool. Not going to lie. And when, when I walk into my house, like after like doing one of my calls with the, with the community, I'm like, yeah, I'm all pumped up. And then my wife's like, no, you're changing a diaper right now. And I'm like, you know who I am. Like, people love me. You're changing this. You're changing this diaper. That's hilarious. Keep me <laughs> that's hilarious. But I think that's the big part of it, right, is 
we built it for ourselves and used it for like three years internally before having anybody else ever use it. So I was the biggest critic going in because it was a very different product six years ago. I mean, initially it was a series of automated scripts and it just became unmaintainable. I mean, I had SQL queries this big, right? Because that's the only way to do any sort of meaningful conditional logic. And, and it just, it was so slow to debug. And so we just said, you know what, let's just, let's just rip it out and just start fresh, you know, and just put it on .NET Core and we didn't look back. And that's the thing is we test it all internally really before we're pushing things out to you guys. So what, what is the tech stack like at Immense Networks? We push out, uh, we're on Sentinel one. We have certain customers and ourselves on, um, on Blackpoint. We have, uh, what is another? I think there's like a third security thing that we push out. Um, we're not using Arctic Wolf anymore. Yeah, what's well, right? We, we do have Threat Locker, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have clients using Arctic Wolf. Not everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, we. Every one of our clients is required to have business premium Microsoft licensing. Um, right. So they if, get all that. If not, three, yeah, five, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the different things that we do and. and you know, not necessarily here to promote it, but one of the one of the things we didn't want to have to deal with in the MS, you know, when I was working at the MSP was was Acrobat licensing. You know, it was just hard to juggle, and that was before Acrobat did like the user based stuff, and you were juggling a lot of serial numbers and who gets what. It was hard, and you know, you have to go and ina- deactivate it from an old computer. So, uh, so Fox and Phantom, like the full version, is actually included in our MSP stack. And that was just to eliminate all of that noise from the different law firms that we dealt with as to who should get what license and things. So um, that's included in our tech stack too. Um, man, I would have to go and run through our article. Do, do, do you have an RMM that you use still? We still have Automate um, running behind the scenes. The, there's a few, there's a couple of things that we need to get knocked out in order for us to be able to successfully transition away from Automate. One of those things is we need some reporting on on a software usage. So, you know, earlier I alluded to how we tie back to your your PSA to determine who should get what software. But what we're not currently doing is turning that around and updating the quantities on those products in your agreement yet. So that's still uh, there's still a report in Automate that Tara uses to reconcile that at the end of the month. But that's actually something I'm actively working on. So. Um, yeah, a lot of these things with the agreements are things I'm pushing for because, I mean, anybody who's done your invoicing will know that they can be a headache um, um, because yeah. there can be those one-offs. So we are trying to make it go the opposite way where we'll update your agreements for you. Now, what, take that headache. what about like, you know, the, the thing that I feel like every RMM tool is, it, it's it's three things. One it's an overpriced screen connect that doesn't work as good as screen connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, it is uh, an overpriced way to, to push out software. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically it's an overpriced method of installing the actual screen connect. So you can remotely connect to your machine. And three, uh, it, it's monitoring like CPU and Ram and hard disk. And, right. and that's, and let's be honest, that's all most MSPs are monitoring because they don't understand what they should be monitoring in the event logs or or process manager or, or anything else to to know how to correlate individual things and, and turn it into a bigger issue that needs to be addressed. Right. So the monitoring thing is a huge is a huge missing piece from Emmybot. 
um, in terms of like your traditional monitoring. Uh, in my opinion, the only monitors that MSPs ever really should care about are server disk space, online, offline for servers, and arguably being able to monitor a Windows service if it crashes, right? Some mission critical line of business, you know, app that's still running on-prem. You don't right? want to monitor the principaler? <sighs> sure. Yeah, that's what I want to get into. <laughs> I want to get into the principaler monitor and kill me. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, is, I mean, but think about it. Like, okay, you don't want, you don't ever want to run out of disk space on a server. That's just embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially if you've got shares on that server where everybody who uses the share could see inside of Windows Explorer it approaching the red, you know, 10% remaining, you know, like how could they see it and you don't. So you need that. And then it helps to be able to know when a server's down before your customer calls. But, you know, there's sometimes, most of the time there's not a whole lot you can do about it anyway. Right. It's like, oh, the power went out. Cool. You didn't, you, you didn't get a backup generator. And you didn't invest in the UPS. I quoted you. So, yeah, you know, so I'm not saying it's not necessary. I'm not trying to be defeatist about it. But if you, if you think about it really critically, it's like, well, all right. Well, you know, what do I really need? So to me, disk space is really like the top one. And, uh, you know, and as far as like, you know, RAM and, and CPU utilization, that stuff moves so fast, it's really hard to draw a lot of correlations on it. You know, disk space usually grows relatively slow and you can, you can trend it and, and, and almost predict like, hey, you know, you're going to run out of disk space in X days or weeks or hours. But like, you know, CPU fluctuates very quickly, same with RAM usage a lot. So you end up with a lot of noise when you set up monitors on those things sometimes. And not saying it's impossible to do, but our experience when we first got automate set up and turned all that on, we just got blown up with tickets for stuff that was really not an issue. And so the, the sort of monitors that I care about beyond those like traditional three is more about monitoring the configuration drift of people's machines, right? If somebody went and decided to uh, mess with their Forta client config themselves and suddenly they can't get on the VPN anymore or uh, you know, maybe that laptop's been offline since you did the big push to update the host name and the VPN profile. Uh, well, you know, you want to be able to detect that. And we are detecting those things. So if you kind of back up and you think about when I, the session where we show you, you know, the detect, execute, verify, and we go back to one that like shows all of these things, conceptually, each of these things is a monitor, right? Like, Here's, we monitored for configuration drift of configuring Adobe Reader, i.e. setting the default PDF handler, all right? We took an auto-remediation step here of executing a fix for it, and then we re-ran the monitor to verify it's back in compliance. And right? is all that automated? Well, you would then go and set up schedules, and that's when we bring you into, you know, into the ME standard plan, all right? How many machines do you want to monitor a month? You want to monitor all these things on 50 machines, 100 machines, 1,000 machines, right? So 2,000 agents, the pricing isn't that bad, actually. It's $400. It's still the base 400, mm -hmm. and it's 75 cents an agent. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's reasonable. You know, you extrapolate this out, and I, and I really do try to get it to, to a very reasonable. I mean, the 400 is just to cover our baseline Azure hosting costs. We do use some, some uh, relatively expensive resources because we want to keep MEBOT fast. And so 
Uh, as you scale this up, we're, we actually now set it up to where it'll automatically uh, add RAM and CPU to your instance. It used to be that, oh, just message Darren on Slack and he'll do it. And then like we ran an audit and we we're giving away hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of Azure hosting. So we, when we switched to this model, we also made it to where, okay, we're going to actually increase the, the resources associated with your instance. So, uh, so it doesn't get slow if you bog it down, right? So, uh, so yeah, we, we have a pretty steep price break on it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm really not trying to be greedy on it. I'm just trying to get like the base nut and then let you scale. And, and you can go and adjust this. If we don't hold you to it, we're not going to lock you into like a three year. Oh, you only reserve this much at this price and then add an add on agreement. Like, no, you could go in and just adjust it yourself. You don't have to have any awkward conversations with some sales guy or anything. We don't have sales people, we just have technical people. That's it. And we don't lock you into a contract. I mean, it's not like we're asking you to sign three year contract anything it's month right. to month so uh a couple things here uh one guy said that he he thinks you could potentially do down the line is automated self-healing on processes and he he thinks that you already have some of the groundwork laid if some triggers could be defined self-healing scripts could be deployed most other RMMs don't have a strong delivery for health, uh, self-healing in his opinion. Yeah. And, and actually we do some of that. Like if I go and I show you uh, Foxit, there's this, uh, an advanced option here. We have what we call a repair strategy. And then we also have a test strategy. And so for Foxit, one of the ways that we discovered that it would fail is uh, if the, oh no, well, this is coming. Oh yeah. yeah okay. One of the reasons that would, one thing that would fail sometimes would be if we didn't install it with like the spell checker plugin, uh, or if the uh, preview handler wasn't registered properly inside of Windows. So the, the ticket would come in and people would say like, hey, when I click on a PDF, it doesn't show up on the right side of my thing. I don't know who commented this out, but this is really good code. Anyway, um, but we would go in and we would detect that scenario. And then we would do, uh, depending on what your repair strategy was, if it's like uninstall, install, we'll, do that, or we'll reinstall it on top of itself, or you could have a custom repair script that would go and actually just perform that action that's up here, right? And so we we have that, but where I really want to go with this, my you know, above and beyond this, sometimes software breaks in like really weird and not obvious ways. And the challenge that I have a lot with with like lower level help desk guys is they they don't know how to they don't know what a log file is. Right. Like, did you look at an event viewer? Did you look for a log file? Did you read the log file if you found it? Right. It's hard. So I got to thinking, man, how cool would it be if you're inside of your PSA and you're working a ticket and we determine that it has to do with Foxit or has to do with some Outlook plugin or has to do with whatever. And then I added a script to our software model that was a log gatherer script okay so in the event that fox is doing something weird when the ticket gets put in for something like fox it we then go and run this log gatherer right there and put all the the logs highlighted in the ticket for you with the word error so that way you've got a better idea as to what you're dealing with right so in my opinion the way i rank text is uh, level one, do you know what a log file is? Two, I know what a log file is and maybe I can find it, but I'm not going to bother opening it or and trying to read it. And level three is the guy that opens the log file, reads it, finds the problems, fixes it, right? So I'm trying to take your level one guy and make him level three by putting the log files in his face so he can't not look at it. Hmm. That is cool. Now, uh, I had a private question sent to me. Okay. So I'll, I'll put it up here. 
Um, you already mentioned Kaseya to its detriment. All these good products come along, but then they get an insane payday and walk away. Walk away. Time invested is burned as the product goes downhill, flips to a three-year term, blows up. What yeah. can you say that is different than the usual uh, blah, 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 so that way it, it, you won't seem like another developer looking for a payday. You already said that your goal is to sell this thing to Microsoft as what Intune should have sure. always been. Right. So I, I just don't trust any of any of the major vendors in the MSP space with, with the AVBot code because it'll do exactly what you just said. Here's the major difference and what you have to think about. Um, AVBot's already profitable. Okay. We didn't take any money. We didn't need to take money. We already had a healthy MSP, thanks mostly to Terra for running a tight ship with the help of sea level. All right. Uh, we took the profits from the MSP and invested that into Imibot, right? So it's not like a situation where it's like, oh man, I've got an idea, but I can't afford to hire developers. So I got to go take somebody else's money. And as soon as you take somebody else's money, you're on that train where that gets hot potato, where that investor needs to sell it to the next investor for a higher price, to the next investor. We avoided that train altogether by not having any investors except for ourselves. Okay, so, and the best part is you you already developed the platform. You were already using it. So the only thing that you needed to do was some back-end stuff to make it so that way other people could sign in and it's now multi-tenant in the fact that uh, I can sign in for my MSP and not see your MSP stuff. Right. And everybody's database is separate. That was an intentional design. And sometimes it, it's frustrating because like if you did have one giant instance, a lot of things become easier in terms of authentication and things like that. But I, I did not ever want the ticket of, hey, I can see this other MSP stuff in my instance. What's going on? You know, like I just needed that to be an impossibility. So we made sure that everybody gets a completely separate database, different uh, storage accounts. We keep it as separate as humanly possible. So uh, that's not really an issue. But I also think on top of the, I know we talked about Kaseya specifically. Um, if any of you have ever met Brett and Darren, they are probably two of the most passionate people I've ever met when it comes to this industry. And they love it. And I mean, if it wasn't Bot, they were going to come up with another product. And it's like you said, we don't, I mean, we're profitable. We don't need to sell. And I don't, I mean, just knowing Darren, I know where he wants to take it and He's not going to want to take anyone else's money. I, He's I don't want. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> want a boss, right? I don't want to be beholden to someone. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do with this product. And and I've watched exactly what that dude described. And I'm like, yeah, that that's we've what been happens. burned by it too. Not just you guys. <laughs> and it's not. The, and it's not like we haven't been approached. Oh, we've been approached. And every time, I'm like, I, I'm, yeah, it gets to a point where I'm just like, I'm just not even going to call anymore. Like. No, no, some of them are nice and I get it and they're cool. Like, you know, but some of the other ones are really aggressive. And I'm like, oh my God, like, no, no. You know? So, so I'm, I'm going to ask the question and I understand if you tell me to pound sand, what's the largest offer you've gotten for Amibot so far that you've said no to? No one has made an official offer yet. Okay. It's all, it's all been this like song and dance of like, okay, are we interested? If not, but nobody's actually like slid. We never even let it get to that point. It was just okay. like, you know, me and Brett look at each other and we're like, do we really want to do this? And it's like, <laughs> no. Do you want no. a boss? No. All right. Then why are we entertaining this? You know, like, I don't know. 
I, I, you know, it's just like, I, I know what happens, right? You take the money and then they you end up getting in a situation where they start sales, 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 right? And for me, I'm such like a techno purist. Like there's so much stuff in the back end that I want to get done, but I know it's just going to get cut off because I can't immediately deliver ROI like a sales plan can. And so for me to say like, oh no, we need to pay off this technical debt so we can build this next new feature and blah, 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 blah. It's like, ah, that's too many dots to connect. Let's hire more salespeople to sell what you already have. I don't want that. So I feel like, I mean, we've we've probably gotten the best answer we can get. Now, now let me just throw this out there. There's something that, um, oh, who is it? I, th I think it might be Halo PSA. There's something that they're doing now where they're basically saying, we won't sell to private equity. We won't sell the company. Uh, we'll, we'll do a three-year contract with you to, to get you the best price. And if for some reason we sell, this contract becomes null and void. So, I heard about that recently. They're doing that. We, we as an MSP are actually now asking our vendors for that in their contracts. Yeah. I, I think that is... So really you want awesome. me to make you sign a three-year contract? Yeah, but well, we don't, yeah, so we don't make you. So, sign so you guys have a, a month to month, which is <laughs> awesome, and and then at that point, I don't, I don't know, man. Like it's tough because I I think as an MSP, if we sign a three-year agreement with with a vendor like with Emmybot, for example, mm -hmm. you know, typically in our eyes. It's all right. I've I've invested my next three years of being with this platform, and they've invested on being with me, which which means that we're both equally invested, and this software is going to continue to improve, and it's going to make my life easier. Um, when when we are doing things on a month to month commitment, on a platform that was created by an MSP to help the MSP operate better. Now I feel like this product is contingent on the MSP. And I don't know, it's probably not, it's probably spun up as a separate company and, and all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's be honest. If it weren't for immense networks, Emmybot never would have been created. Right. So but if you look at the trajectory of growth of both companies within the next few months, Emmybot will just blast past the the largest past the MSP. Yeah, it's it's rapid. We're growing five to ten percent top line month over month. It's 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 like it's insane. Hmm. So uh, so there's a lot. So at so within if we have this conversation next year, we're going to be looking back at a mess that was like, well, you know, that was that got us that got us here. Right, but Imibot's getting us there, right? And the idea is to always maintain the MSP. Like it's, we've seen enough people that get rid of it and then they lose touch, and we don't want yeah. that. Um, what I what I want to do is I want to turn around. And my and this was my plan from from day one. Okay, Immense is going to invest in this Imibot product. Imibot is going to grow and be wildly successful, and then we're going to take and we're going to use the extra cash that we have from Imibot to have the luxury of starting to get rid of some of our less desirable customers on the MSP side, right? The lower operational maturity ones, the ones that C-Level said we should have fired five years ago. Uh, and then and then we say, okay, cool. Now we've got like a core group of, of really good, high operational maturity MSP customers that are easy to manage. They don't you know, bother us with billing problems and nah, 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 nah. 
right? And let's just have that as sort of like our best practice, right? And say like, look, here's what your MSP you know, could look like, maybe, you know, uh, or at least one that's easier to run than like the, the daily fire drill when you've got a bunch of low operational maturity customers, right? So that, that's really, you know, but it's, but it's hard to cut customers when, you know, when you're like, well, you know, they do pay the bill, just uh, requires three hours of my time arguing with their billing lady every month. You know, it's like, but at this point, I would say Imibot doesn't actually rely on the MSP. They are no. two separate companies. It, I mean, finances are separate, everything. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm curious to know if the guys watching, if you guys have any other questions. Um, ask your tough ones. If uh, if you need to ask one privately, I don't know a way to do it privately without sending me a private message. So um, don't be scared. Just ask your question. Mm -hmm. I, I I really I really want to play with it. Like I don't even have a need to. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm not uh, I'm not the technical person anymore. Um, can you make a marketing product? That would be cool. That way I have something I can play with. Oh, yeah. Darren, don't even start. Oh. <laughs> is, there anything, is there anything else in Emmybot that you think we need to see? Oh, man, let's see. I went over the new software stuff. I went over the session. Um, the, what, I'm, what I have on the screen right now is kind of interesting. So the, remember how earlier I was talking about being able to sort of learn from your existing inventory. Now, this is just our staging environment. So we've only got two machines. But imagine this is a larger environment. This is the what's going to be that software report, but also this is the base data that we're going to start using to build out those recommendations. So what's happened here is because each of the pieces of software that we support has a string-based detection method, what we did is we're able to actually take the data from the AdRemove program's display name, which is usually pretty dirty, and sanitize that and link it back to the actual software ID, in this case, 234 for Edge Chromium, right? But if you look at the details and some of this stuff, uh, you know, particularly the ones that are a little bit messier, a lot of the times you'll find that there's multiple things like, uh, Let's see, screen connects a really good one. It's got like a, a identifier in there. Seven zip drops like a version number, but we sanitize all that stuff for you and bring it into a nice clean list. And so this data here tracks not only what computer uh, it was installed on, but it also tracks who the primary person of that user was at the time, which is done by pulling the console user periodically and matching that UPN against their Azure user and picking the one that occurs most frequently over the last 10 responses and that works pretty well so what that allows us to do is then go and say well hold on if every computer at this uh location uses you know acrobat let's go ahead and make that deployment and this will let you very quickly say all right this should be installed for all now this is a built-in recommended one it works better on a larger data set but uh, it helps you identify the software in use in the environment and, and grow into Imibot a little bit faster. But again, my plan is to take this data and then funnel that through this, this basically guess and checker that's gonna say, okay, let's try every possible permutation of computer groupings until we find one that has the most overlap with the truth data from this table. And that's how we're gonna get there. So um, that's, this is really helpful if you're just trying to learn what's out there in an environment and filtering out a lot of the cruft. Uh, so that's, that's really fun. Um, and then beyond that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that would be really notable to, to demonstrate, but um, 
and I'm sure there, there's a lot of- This probably won't be notable to technical people, but I don't know if you can see this on yours. I know from a procurement and quoting standpoint within our MSP, I loved not having to go to our technical staff to ask what specs I needed on computers anymore. It's on the overview of the computer page. I could log in, I could see how much um, memory they had on their computers. I could see, you know, there you go, how much space they're using on their hard drive. I didn't right. have to, I know that there can always be a disconnect or there has been a disconnect, at least in our MSP, between like our procurement gals and our technical team. And we always relied on the technicians to find all this information for them. And now we just bypass that by giving them access into any, just to see. This yeah, is good. You're, you're gonna love it, man. You start poking around. It's fast. That's that's my favorite part. It had to be fast. That's the, that's the only way I can get good code written. I have to be able to iterate quickly. You know. So I want to talk about fast for a second. Sure. Um, and then I I know we're over. Are you okay on time? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. So I want to talk about fast for a second. I use um, I use an email platform called Superhuman. Now yeah. I'm I use. Google Workspace for Rocket MSP. My MSP is a Microsoft 365 company. S Superhuman is like Outlook, okay? It's, it's just mm -hmm. the email app. And the reason that I like Superhuman is because they are all about speed. Uh, they, they've made it, and their website doesn't even talk about it anymore like it used to, but it used to talk about how the, the founder of the company uh, noticed that if something didn't happen within 250 milliseconds, that it was taking too long. And that, you know, everything on Gmail, they made sure that everything on Gmail takes, you know, less than a second to open an email, to reply to an email, everything, right? So yeah. they did the exact same thing with Superhuman, making it uh, so that way when you open up an email, it's not thinking about it for a brief moment like you've experienced with Outlook or other email platforms right. or even the mail app on the iPhone or whatever, right? right. Um, they've, they've made shortcuts so that way I can navigate through my inbox, archive, uh, remind me later, reply, archive, delete, everything uh, I can do through a keyboard shortcuts. I don't have to touch my mouse at all when I'm in my email. And, nice. and uh, I will gladly put a referral thing in to, for this uh, if anyone wants it. But um, basically, it's a really awesome email platform. And uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because speed is important. And we as techs, um, I think we are spoiled when it comes to our computers because we always make sure we've got the best of the best, right? You know, I've got a Mac Studio. Bare minimum specs is their ridiculous CPU with 32 gigs of RAM and an NVMe drive, mm -hmm. right? So, so you know that I've got a computer with fantastic specs. And uh, for my work computer, I've got uh, some crazy i7 12th gen 32 gigs of RAM and VME drive, right? right so, so all that to say, we understand that speed is necessary. And a lot of times we get stuck with software from developers that, that don't share the same sentiment for some reason. Yeah. They, they feel like, it, it feels like software developers are okay with, sacrificing speed for 
you know, easier development probably. Yeah. I know. I, I totally feel that to me. I'm the same way. Maybe it's because I'm ADD or whatever, but if it, if it takes more than a fraction of a second to load, I'm off to something else. And, but if it's, it's fat, if it's fast and it's engaging, then I'm going to stick with it. Right. So in this case, so this VM is in, so our, the nominal latency for our script execution is, is usually about 98 milliseconds, but that we're really limited to like the actual speed back and forth. So if here I were to do, uh, let's do this divided by 100, we'll end up with uh, what, 364. But if I were to go and flip over to like my own machine and actually use this, then what we'll get is somewhere around like 10 seconds for all that same, for the same code block. So what I'm trying to do here, let me switch over to Metascript here and run this. So look how much, so look how fast this is, right? So this is actually like a real prod instance, right? And we're running through and we're basically, the invoke image command here is the same. If you're familiar with automate, it's the same thing as like execute script. So it's taking this script block and it's, it's running it on the remote computer, right? And so what I'm essentially doing here is going one through a hundred, calling that and then returning the output. I'm actually streaming it real time over a WebSocket. And, uh, and then I'm going to go and calculate the total milliseconds over a hundred. So in this case, it went fast the first like 50 or so. If I do like 10, it'll rip through that. And then, uh, and then it'll come back with your like, three, four, 34 milliseconds round trip, give or take uh, on these. Actually, that's not right. It should have been but about my 10th, keep that number the same, but it's, it's very fast. And, and that's exciting for me because when I'm doing these things in other systems, I mean, man, when I was, well, there's some systems where it takes five minutes to get a script to run. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. And the irony is it's, it's called a quick, it's called a quick uh, task and it's like not quick at all. It's blows right. my mind. So this same thing would have taken five minutes to run one time. And, uh, but we made that a focus of a sprint. What was it early this year? Cause it was quick to begin with. And we just, we wanted it to be faster. Yeah. We spent a lot of time ironing out a lot of like, uh, multi-threading issues, deadlocks, things like that, that were happening. Cause we were getting some larger, uh, some larger MSPs signing off. They were trying to do larger deployment tasks. We're talking tens of thousands of agents, uh, trying to push software out at the same time. And, uh, and there was seemingly no amount of horsepower we could throw, no amount of CPU and RAM we could throw at these instances to keep them to keep them running. And so we we just, I mean, painstakingly went through every exception, found all the code smells that could even remotely be related, and uh, and now we've got it to a point where when we throw horsepower at an instance, it actually expands its capabilities. It's it's really exciting. This is a really cool platform, guys. Thank you so much for for coming on here and. Uh... Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having us, man. This is uh yeah, this has been awesome. Fun. So uh any any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the MSPs of the world? Join our community, man. Like get on the we're uh, the MSP geek. Uh you know, if even if you're already an about subscriber, if you're not in a community, you're missing out. If for no other reason, there's just a lot of good banter back and forth on there. But uh, you'll look, you can ask a lot of questions. It's great. Uh, you go, just get it and start kicking the tires on it and like kind of fumble through it. Right. And then, mm -hmm. and then get on a call with us or jump into the community, ask questions and you'll discover that what you're trying to do probably isn't that crazy. And there's inevitably somebody who's already done it. If it's not already prepackaged and global. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I would, I would say, like, just go play with it. If nothing else, it's fun. Yeah. We're on the MSP geek discord. So come find us. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we are going to be at ChannelCon next week in Las Vegas, and we are going to be at IT Nation in the fall. So That's come awesome. hang out with us.
Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys, so much for doing this with me. Um, MSPs, thanks so much for watching. Uh, we will catch you guys at the next episode. All right. All right. Thank you.